Welcome to Meeting with God. Meeting with God is the radio teaching ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus. We're in the middle of a series from the Gospel of Luke called By the Finger of God. And today we're going to listen to the first part of a message named Let's Think Through the Options. Let's think through the options. Let's go to the text. Proverbs chapter 4. Verses 23 and 26 says this, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Uh, Throughout Scripture, and especially what I believe God is going to speak to us today, there is a call to constant heart-level reflection on my life, and especially on where my heart is before the living God. As we go to Luke chapter 11, uh, we're going to be asked to look at three questions in particular. And I believe God wants us to have some heart-level reflection on these three questions, which are, who is Jesus? Now, that's really the theme of the whole book of Luke, which is, who is Jesus? Who is this guy? And what is that supposed to mean? Heart-level reflection on who is Jesus. Here's the second thing I believe God wants us to reflect on. And here's the question. What if God chooses to work in a way different from my expectations? What if God chooses to work in a way different than my expectations, than my prayers, than my hopes? And here's the third question for heart-level reflection. Do I hunger for the finger of God to be present in my life and in my church? Do I hunger for the finger of God to be present in my life and in my church? Uh, I'm asking if you have a Bible to turn to Luke chapter 11 and verse 14. We're back in our series called By the Finger of God. We're actually going to be in the verse that mentions that today. Let's begin reading. We've just finished our discussion on the Lord's Prayer and the implications of that. Now let's go to the next story which connects right to it. Verse 14, chapter 11 of Luke says, Now he was casting out a demon... Now that was mute. And when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. Now, unlike the other Gospels, uh, Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tightens, actually shortens the story and focuses primarily on the response. And we're going to be looking at that over the next few minutes. Uh, But I want to start out here. Maybe you're reading the text and you're coming to this saying, uh, a demon, a demon, Are we talking about like there's actually like real demons in the world, like these supernatural, like dark beings, like Halloween is actual for real? The answer is uh, yes, demons do exist. Uh, Maybe you're like, well, what do demons do or what are they about or, well, demons um, um, would be very connected to a spiritual darkness uh, in our world. Uh, Scripture says that there is a physical world which we can see, and there is an invisible world where there are spirit beings uh, that we cannot see at this point. 
Many of us have heard of things related to the occult, to witch doctors, to I could go on and on, uh, whether you're here and it appears less visible, or if you go to the third world where it's much more accepted, uh, it doesn't matter, matter really where you are, the same uh, truth holds that there are demonic and angelic beings. Now what do these uh, demonic beings do? What's their job description? Well, Scripture says that demons... Um, under the leadership of the prince of demons, which we would think of as Satan, are focused on deception, confusion, harm, darkness, and oppression. Now, that may be news to you, but Scripture clearly lays that out. Now, maybe you're wondering, well, uh, the natural question from that, and maybe some of you have heard this, does, does actual demon possession actually happen? Like, I'm reading this verse, and Jesus casts a demon out of a man who is mute, and now the man can talk. Now, it's very evident that the demon is doing harm to the man. But that kind of begs the question, for those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, uh, or maybe you're not, and you're kind of checking into this, here's something you need to know. Um, Christians can be affected by demons. You may be wondering, well, what does that look like? Well, I want to dig into that. I want to go to a couple of verses from Scripture uh, so we're understanding this right. Now, to use the term uh, possessed uh, really is the wrong term. Uh, a better way, really a scriptural way, uh, the word in the text and throughout the New Testament is really a sense not of being possessed, but of being demonized or influenced by a demon we might think of it as being harassed or being, even in some cases, terrorized. Uh, but there's not a sense really in Scripture of being owned and taken over by a demon outside of a person giving into the influence of that demonic spiritual uh, being. I want to take us to Scripture quickly just to get a sense of that. Uh, if you want to read along, I'm going to have three verses put up on the screen. I'm actually going to go there quickly, and I'm going to read these to you. You can look them, write them down, look them up later. You're welcome to. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, Paul is describing what we were like before we were believers, and he says this in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses, spiritually dead, in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that is Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. I think about that. It says, who is at work in the sons of disobedience. Uh, Satan is at work in those who are non-believers. For some people who would say, well, I'm spiritually neutral, is not an option. If you are darkened, that doesn't mean that you're freaking out. That doesn't mean that you're completely harassed in every sense. What it does mean is you are blind and the enemy is keeping you blind until God opens your eyes to the power of the gospel and you become uh, freed from sin. Now, what are believers to do? Can believers be harassed and influenced? I believe they can. Uh, James chapter 4, not quite the same way, but they can. Uh, James chapter 4, verse 6 says this. It says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
Lest any of us as believers should be concerned that we would not be able to have power over the enemy, Scripture is very clear on that, that we give influence to the enemy. That's why walking in holiness is so important. When we walk in holiness, we're shutting the door in the face of the enemy. If you open the door, do not be surprised that the enemy takes advantage of that. In fact, Ephesians chapter 4 gives clarity on that when Paul said, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, on the particular topic of anger, though it might be applied a number of ways, um, it says, be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down in your anger. Essentially, deal with your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, again, I want to emphasize, I don't believe that anyone in Scripture, if you go back to the Greek, can be possessed or taken over. However, when we choose to live in sin, and by that I mean we choose to live in hidden sin or unrepentant sin, we are opening the door to an opportunity of the enemy and demonic forces in particular. I'm not suggesting that every person who's in sin is uh, influenced demonically. Uh, sometimes everybody wants to run and think that a demon's behind everything. Um, there aren't enough demons to be behind every bush, okay? Um, just to be clear. However, uh, they are intelligent beings. Uh, they are in direct opposition to everything that God wants, and they are not pleasant. And when this is why when God calls us to walk after his ways, there is something at stake. And that's why I want to bring us back to the text here. Jesus, with this man, we don't know where this man was with a God, what place he was at. But clearly, it's an awesome thing when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, frees someone from darkness. And this man was influenced to the point where he could not speak. Clearly, as I said earlier, demonic forces are about harming people physically, spiritually. And Jesus frees him. Now, you would think, notice in the text that it says in verse 14 what the response of the people was. Two words, it says, the people marveled. The people marveled. Apparently for centuries, people had experienced this brokenness of demonic influence in their lives, and now Jesus Christ comes and frees this man from this harmful influence in his life. What do you think the response of the people will be? If it's me, I'm thinking, man, let's celebrate. I mean, if you think all the graduation parties have been awesome, just wait till somebody is freed from a demonic thing. They're mute. They can't even talk. Like, like get the party going. Like, let's celebrate Jesus. Hi, this is Pastor Luke Aarons from Vertical Church Columbus. Did you know that these Meeting with God messages actually come from sermons given at our church home, Vertical Church Columbus? You know, in addition to hearing God's word proclaimed every week, you'll find a warm, loving church family of authentic followers of Jesus Christ. If you live in Columbus, Ohio, but are not currently connected to a church home, we'd love to invite you to visit us at 1290 Old Henderson Road in Columbus near the intersection of 315 and Henderson Road. There's something important we have to remember when it says that the people that they marveled, that is not the same as faith. Yeah, I can go on to social media today and find people marveling about all kinds of nonsense. To marvel is not equal to faith, and you're going to see that here in the text. Let's go back to the text. Verse 15. It says, but some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, 
a prince of the demons. Does that shock you a little bit? Then it says, while others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. Wow. You know, I find the miracle amazing. I find the people's response even more amazing. Here is Jesus doing a miracle. The man who could not speak that was under the control or the influence of the demonic spirit so much so that he could not speak. Jesus frees him and and already there's some people on social media hammering Jesus that somehow he is doing something to help and aid the greatest enemy of our souls. You know, as the saying goes, you can't please everyone. Really, uh, when Jesus did this miracle, as with others, uh, really people fell into three camps, as they do here. Some people saw this as a work of God. Clearly, his disciples saw this as a work of God. But there was a second group uh, that was unsatisfied in unbelief. That's the group mentioned here in verse 16. They are the fickle people, the fickle people that are always looking for a little bit more. They are the reminder of the people in Exodus who saw God do powerful things, signs and wonders, and they were ready to drop God in a moment and run back to Egypt as soon as they were out of water. Fickle, 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 fickle. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. People play that game with God too. Then there was the third group, and I would call these the haters. Jesus' work, they were saying that Jesus' work was empowered by the bad bee, so to speak, the prince of the demons, by Satan himself. Now, I've had a lot of people say things to me after I've gotten done with the message. I've never had somebody walk up to me and say, that was clearly empowered by the devil. I just want to let you know that, Pastor. I'm not saying that could never happen, on second thought, but I've yet to have that happen. Now, how do people get there? How could these people possibly be responding to a massive miracle in such a negative way? I'm going to ask you to grab your notes and jot this first thought down. Really a thought for heart-level reflection. Our response to Jesus is swayed by the state of our hearts. Our response to Jesus is swayed by the state of our hearts. Notice that with group one, they were filled with faith. Their hearts were filled with faith. And when they saw Jesus do something, their hearts responded appropriately with faith. Then notice that the second group, uh, their hearts were filled with what I would call simple unbelief. Simple unbelief. Now, what is simple unbelief? A simple unbelief is I'm not sure who Jesus is. I'm really not sure. And, and, and sometimes people in simple unbelief just have a very hard time uh, committing to Jesus Christ because I don't know. I think I might. I don't know. And um, I would say that if you're in that place, it's very important to you, absolutely important to you to do the hard work of thinking and reflecting on who Jesus Christ is. Put your questions up against Jesus. He can handle it. But many will stay in a fickle unbelief and back and forth. And here's the third group, and I think we need to hear this the most. The reason why people will say things about Jesus and why they will not believe is because the third group, their hearts were filled with what I would call dedicated unbelief dedicated unbelief. Their minds were not open. It doesn't matter whether Jesus called down fire from heaven 
They would have said it was coming from hell. It didn't matter whether he healed somebody because then he was just doing something covertly for the enemy. Their hearts were fouled and fueled by jealousy, by selfishness, by pride. I'm going to tell you, you don't have to be a scribe or Pharisee to have your heart fueled by pride. That's why I prayed for Darren, and I would pray this for every person in our church, most of all myself, that we would be fueled by humility. God's grace goes to those who are humble. And I pray that our church will increasingly grow in people who are humble, who who bend the knee to Jesus Christ first and then lay their hearts before him and then lay their hearts and their lives down even before other believers and humble themselves, you before me, Jesus before all. I think we need sometimes to ask the question and reflect, reflect, where is my heart really? I think many times in this pace, fast-paced world, sometimes the pace only picks up and it's going faster and more opinions are coming at me and more thoughts and more places to go and more, 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 more. And often that more just gums up like, like running into a flock of, I don't know, mosquitoes. When you're driving on vacation, you ever driven on vacation and your whole windshield is just dead bugs all over the place, right? And then they dry because you're going somewhere south. And then, and then and you're just like, I wish I just need to get something to ugh, get all these flies off my... See, often life is happening so quick that it gums up our windshield and our hearts, we become cold and sometimes... Um, 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 really just cold toward the Lord because we have not taken time to think about the state of our hearts like Proverbs mentioned. Now notice Jesus' response by challenging both groups number three, group number three and group number two with logic. Something I've said and I hope our church continues to embrace and I hope if you're here and you think Christianity is just an emotional bunch of people responding. I was talking to someone uh, over the last few days and they were talking about a professor who uh, just thought that Christianity was a bunch of emotional bleh. Christianity is a thinking religion. And Jesus Christ is about ready to challenge not the bleh of these people, but their thinking, their mind. Christianity is not only a thinking religion, it is a call to love God with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. And I believe we have to repeatedly open our minds to the teaching and influence of God's Holy Spirit. Look at verse 17 with me. Verse 17, it says, But he, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. Here's a second thought I want to give you today from God's word. Jesus calls us to examine the evidence from his earthly ministry. Jesus calls us to reflect, heart-level reflection on his ministry. This isn't just a story like in the news where we just cruise right through the story and that was interesting and on to another story. And I'm gonna flick to Twitter on a different story and that was, this is not information. 
This is God at work for us to reflect and to think on. Jesus narrows down the response from simple unbelief, dedicated unbelief, and faith really down to two options, just two options. Here's option one. Satan is the power source for what Jesus is doing. That though Jesus appears to be a prophet, clearly he teaches with authority. Option number one is that he is really a supporting and helping and aiding the kingdom of Satan. Now notice that Jesus says in here, he says, a kingdom divided against itself will not stand. It's very possible that Jesus is referencing this, trying to draw back to people in their minds, back to what happened with the Davidic dynasty, David's kingdom. Remember, David was king, and he had all the nation behind him. And then his son Solomon was foolish, and God, as a form of discipline, split the kingdom in two after Solomon. And you can easily trace through the rest of the time how the northern ten tribes spiritually wandered even faster, but both wandered spiritually, and both militarily became weakened. In fact, even at times they were fighting each other. And Jesus is reminding them, just like in a physical sense, how our Bibles remind us that a kingdom divided against itself will fall, how then could Satan be fighting against himself? Maybe he was also reminding them of the Hasmonean dynasty. That was the last Israelite dynasty that ended, honestly, less about 100 years before Jesus' ministry. Uh, you've heard of the Maccabees. Uh, that was that dynasty, and it lasted for about 100 years. And then eventually, uh, two people in the family got in, at odds with each other, and one sided with Rome and, and asked the Romans to come in and, and help his side to, to push out the other Israelite side. And guess what happened? Yeah, Rome just took the whole thing. A kingdom divided against itself will not stand. And Jesus is saying, think through the logic of that. Would Satan really be authorizing the fall of his own kingdom? Would would Satan be wanting his agents to be in conflict? The obvious answer is no. no. Then Jesus kind of digs a little deeper. Notice he says then, he says, in verse 19, he says... (laughs) And if I cast out demons, uh, by whom do your sons cast them out? Now Jesus is getting a little more personal. And perhaps those sons were even listening. And we don't know exactly who he's referring to. There's two possibilities, or possibly actually three possibilities. One is that Jesus, when he says your sons, he's referring to his disciples. In the chapter before, when the 70 go out and they do ministry, they come back and they say, uh, we were even able to cast out demons in your name. And Jesus is saying, some of you parents, your own children were just out casting out demons. So, and they were doing it in my name, of course. What were they doing? Are you suggesting that your own children are aiding the, the kingdom of Satan? Another possibility is itinerant Jewish exorcist, for sure, a possibility. If you can write this passage down, Acts chapter 19, verses 11 to 20. In Ephesus, which is on the western edge of Turkey, right by Greece, uh, there was a, a conflict with the spiritual, these evil spirits being cast out, and, and the Jewish exorcists, itinerant, were going around trying to cast out demons, and we're not exactly sure how they would have done that, but uh, some of them, uh, who were sons of a priest, tried doing it, and it totally blew up in their face. They thought, oh, this name Jesus really works, and so they tried to, you, I'll let you read the story. It's a very funny story. It's also an amazing story. 
But there we have a reference to the fact that there were Jewish exorcists doing, uh, kind of trying to do their own thing. Or it's quite possible that it's both. But here's the point. If I'm, Jesus is saying, if I'm casting out demons by the power of the enemy, what are you trying to say about your own kids? Consequently, they will be your judges because they will not buy into your poor logic. Or, there's option number two. Look with me at verse 20. Jesus says, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out the demons. Now think about that for a moment. I think we have to remember that the bottom line is we want to and crave the finger of God, the presence of God at work. That's amazing to me in this text, but the people should have been longing for the finger of God. They should have been longing for the active ministry of the Holy Spirit, for the Messiah, Jesus, to come, freeing them and freeing other people from the darkness. I don't want to see people broken in darkness. I want to see them freed by the power of the gospel. Thank you so much for listening to Meeting with God, the radio ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus, Ohio, located at 1290 Old Henderson Road. Vertical Church is not only passionate about the preaching of God's Word, but also praying for God to work in the lives of those in our church, our city, and our world. If you have a prayer request, we would love to pray for you. Please take a moment and head to our website, verticalchurch.life, and visit our prayer wall. There you can leave a prayer request, either publicly or anonymously, and you can know that Vertical Church will be praying for you. As always, we hope to find you here tomorrow at this very same time for your meeting with God. Meeting with God is the teaching ministry of Vertical Church Columbus. For more information, go to verticalchurch.life.